Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. My guest today is Ami Sugayama, the co-founder of Sakai Marche. For those of you who don't know, Sakai Marche is a B2B farm-to-table fulfillment platform connecting farmers to restaurants and retail while streamlining the supply chain through its in-house software, including warehouse management and demand forecast systems. All right. Thank you very much for being here today, Ami. Great, great. How are you, Kevin? Doing very well, doing very well. So I, I'm always curious with every entrepreneur, take me back to the beginning. How did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And how did you decide upon launching Sakai Marche? Mm, yeah, it's going to be a long, long story. Like I, I think 30, 40 minutes is not enough. But anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur like when I was like, very small kid already. I don't know why, but maybe my family has some, yeah, like entrepreneurship as well. But um, first of all, I think about 10 years ago, it was the first time to uh, have my own business. At that time, uh, I, I had started to uh, export the Japanese green tea from my hometown because I wanted to do something I can contribute to my uh, hometown. So I decided to start to export my Japanese green tea from uh, Japan to overseas. And then that was my first uh, experience of my own company as well as into the sea market, the Southeast Asia market. Mm, mm -hmm. yeah. And after that, I've been doing in this F&B and then the supply chain industry over 10 years. Yep. And so how 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 was that experience in exporting that that drove you to continue on and and kind of shift your focus towards building a platform like Sakai Sakai Marche? Yeah, like uh, about ten years ago when I started to do my own tea business, it was uh, not easy to match the supply and the demand. So uh, first of all, I started to source the Japanese green tea from farmers in Japan and then uh, try to build the supply chain direct from the farm tea farmers to the restaurant in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I was running my uh, own restaurant and cafes in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And then I found out it was not really easy to find the products that I won uh, from the restaurant. And then um, it was also even difficult for the farmers to reach to these consumers in overseas. So um, as a middleman and then as a restaurant owner, and then, yeah, I felt that uh, supply chain from the farm that produces to restaurant is very, very complicated. So uh, that's why I was yeah like um thinking like how 
we can like match this supply and the demand and then can contribute more to the product producers, the farmers and then the restaurant. Yeah, this is the first point like I across to. And then, yeah, that I like started to look into the supply chain in Southeast Asia. Yep. Okay, so it was that experience of being the middleman in in securing the supply from farmers to restaurants, as well as your own experience of being the restaurant itself, of realizing that the system wasn't operating as efficiently as it needed to. And that was kind of the impetus and impetus in order to give you the idea of creating those systems. Am I, am I, am I understanding that? Mm, it was kind of like ongoing. So yeah, when I, when I started this uh, like tea, tea business, then I actually like, uh, like, uh, like immediately found out this kind of pain points for the farmers and for the uh, restaurants. So I started to consolidate some of the like the products to um, like from from Japan to consumers. But if I was doing my own F and B business, it was a bit hard for me to consolidate more products because we uh like we we compete with the other restaurant the other restaurants they don't really want to disclose their uh, ingredients or what they mm -hmm. are using so that's why i left um this uh after few years i left my tea business and the fmb business to the other japanese company and then i joined uh one consulting company uh, deloitte is a, is a consulting company mm -hmm. because they were doing uh like a feasibility study on the supply chain for the consolidation uh, uh, trading from farmers in Japan to Singapore. So yeah, that's where I joined yeah, after my first business. And then yeah, after the consulting company, I came to uh, my current business, Sekai Marche, together with my founder in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. And at what point along this journey did you move to Malaysia? You're you're currently residing in Malaysia. The operations are here in Malaysia. At what point did you move here? Um, for the beginning, uh, like when I started to do my tea business, mm -hmm. yeah, I mainly I, I was here as well to build our uh like. Uh, supply chain as well as our F&B business. Um, okay. This operation, yeah, all take place in Malaysia. And then oh. after that, uh, 2000, since 2018, for my Sekai Marche, uh, here we, actually for the first year, second year, I was back and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. Japan, between Japan and Malaysia. But now our 100% uh, market is to sell to Malaysia, the Southeast Asia market. Japan has the uh, main function of the system R&D, development mm -hmm. system development mm -hmm. and sourcing. So mm, all the markets we sell to is to Southeast Asia market. So I more spend like time here in yeah, Southeast Asia. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so let's 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 take a look at the beginning days of Sakai Marche. So, so you were at you you had your own business, the ex the the export business in the F and B. Then you moved on to Deloitte. So then you then you start deciding, hey, I'm going to launch a Sakai Marche with you with your co-founder. 
what was the MVP? What was the very, what did the very first product that you came out with look like? What was the key feature that you thought was the most important first step? Mm. The first step uh, when we were seeing this same market, uh, even when we were doing the consolidation from Japan to Singapore, we have already known that the main pain point for the farmers is a fulfillment. Then, um, however, what we've seen in the market is to have the B2B online players only providing the on order processing and the payment function, not for fulfillment services. So there are many uh, B2B online players, they provide order processing and the payment functions, but this is not enough for farmers, especially they want to sell perishable products. Yeah, because if you sell, maybe example is uh, if you sell cosmetic, you can use uh, current logistic players like uh, like GDEX, mm-hmm. you can use that players to send cosmetics. But if you are the farmer, you produce lettuce, tomatoes, you mm-hmm. can't use current logistic players like GDEX or Postlaju to send the goods, even though Lazada, Shopee, those e-commerce players provide the platform for you to sell with the order processing and payment function. So this is what we've seen in the market. So that's why we started to provide end-to-end fulfillment solutions to mm-hmm. actually connect yeah, the farmers yeah, and the end users. Mm, yep. Okay. Okay. So then you 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 decide on that, and then when you when you need to get the network of farmers in order to be able to have the supply side of the equation, what were those first steps in getting farmers on board? And did you have to do a lot of travel through the country, uh, or maybe a couple trips up to Cameron Highlands to the hill stations and those sort of things? What were those first steps? Yeah. Uh... Japanese farmers in Japan, uh, since my co-founder Shu had mm-hmm. a long experience in the agriculture industry in Japan, mm-hmm. so actually we could start start from the like mouse to mouse introduction. Yeah, he has network already, mm-hmm. but here in Malaysia we didn't really have any community or networks. So mm-hmm. what we have started was walk in. We you, we yeah we go visit the farmers in Cameron Highland, even mm-hmm. we to uh you know like supermarkets and see the like product package and mm-hmm. then yeah see the label like phone numbers and contact information and then we start to call. <laughs> yeah this is how we <laughs> started. Yes. Mm, yep. Okay. And then you 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 basically explain the value proposition of being able to connect them directly with um with the restaurants and retailers and the additional end-to-end fulfillment tools accompanying it, right? Mm, yep, yep, yep. So yeah, since um, the current farmers, local Malaysian farmers, they have only one uh, sales channels to sell mm-hmm. the products, which is like the current broker, the middleman. Right, right, like a wholesaler or somebody. A wholesaler, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So they don't really refuse to come on board because this is like uh, considered as an extra sales channel for mm-hmm. them. So, but the 
um, um, most challenging part was initial challenging part was a restaurant site. It's a it's a for the restaurant to uh use our platform to yeah buy the products from us. Mm, yeah. Okay. Did did that? I I would guess when you start looking at the restaurants that it would have a tendency of biasing towards the more upper end restaurants that are perhaps doing a little bit lesser volume but are more concerned about the premium quality uh, aspects of it did is that kind of the way that you ended up getting started as well yep yep yeah so since farm direct um is still very new to southeast asian market so we um like purposely like uh targeted for those fine dinings first to show that farm direct products has more freshness and then transparency and then the product value. So we start to uh, have more educational information as a farm direct to fine dining, the high-end restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, uh, uh, once those uh, like popular restaurants started to use our like platform and the products, they start to like introduce to the others. It's like a must to must. Like Sika and Moshe uh, provide this end-to-end fulfillment solution. That's why the restaurant can have more fresh uh, products together with a transparency and then more wider uh, varieties of the products. Mm, yeah, this is how we, yeah. Okay, okay. And mm. is is the aspect of organic necessarily as important or is it the is it the freshness component that's the really that the really key component? Mm, we don't require any like certification or any um sure. like particular yeah cultivation method. As long as we have like transparency where it's coming from, yeah, we will yeah always have them on our platform. Yep. Mm. Okay. Okay. And on, on the aspect of kind of the the layer in between, because one of the roles that the wholesaler plays of sitting in the middle is that they're also taking possession of the inventory. They take on some risk associated with that by holding it, transporting it, etc. How do you compare to that? Are you simply a throughput to where you're helping manage the logistics, but don't actually take possession at, as, a, as a company? You don't actually take possession or... Is it is it more of the wholesaler model? We actually own the inventory. So okay. yep, yep. So like the current model is uh like same as wholesale uh supply chain. So we mm. own the uh, inventory. Mm, yeah. So like the goods once we collected the goods, the goods is belong to us, but we still show the transparency where it's coming from. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. And what's, what's, what's that, what's that normal cycle look like? Because I mean, when you're talking about pitching around freshness, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming there's a lot of, there's a, there's a definite challenge around maintaining as short of number of days as feasibly possible in which you are holding it or in possession, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. So uh, this is uh, what we started to uh, like improve in the past half year, we started to uh, develop our own AI demand forecast to mm-hmm. make sure we have more uh, like higher fulfillment rate yeah, together with the supply. So uh, the first year, second year, we need to uh, have three to four days in Adobe's order, place order by customers. So restaurants need to wait three to four days 
after they place the order to the farm because okay. we needed to go through the process. We received the order and then we place order to the farm for the harvesting. Mm -hmm. So it takes three to four days uh, until the goods reach to restaurant customers. But okay. this is actually too long for the restaurant. I was also running my own restaurant show. I, I also really understand, but uh, right. restaurants cannot really wait Yeah, more than a few days. So we started to have our own uh, AI demand forecast to shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we can forecast and then we can have more higher fulfillment rate. Yeah, for daily delivery, like everyday delivery. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so it's essentially taking some of the tools from like the e-commerce industry of of the demand forecast tools that they're using, perhaps tailored a little bit more to your specific use case. But really yeah. incorporating more um, intelligent systems into that process, right? Actually, the I think most difference is uh, of the records. So we have the past few years records of the production and the demand. So okay. this is yeah uh, one of the data is one of the like, big difference between the other uh, demand forecasts because nobody has this kind of records from the farmers, like the mm -hmm. production yeah, of the farmers and then the demand of the restaurant. Yes. Mm, yep. Okay. Okay. On, on the aspect of the demand from restaurant, you know, when you, when you talk about more of the higher end restaurants, which is, which is where, where a lot of the starting point was here, you know, they have a tendency of rotating their menus around. So does that create an inherent challenge around the demand forecast? Or is it also a component of, you know, multi-year um, analysis and understanding seasonal vegetables, those sort of things? Mm -mm. Yes. So I think um, maybe... Uh, some of the restaurants, yes, they change menu. It affects to our uh, demand forecast as well, but it's not too particular as B2C. So okay. this is yeah why we started as B2B uh, because, you know, like if you are uh, B2C today, uh, you cook curry today, mm. but maybe you don't cook curry tomorrow. But, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> or for but the next month. <laughs> it's not really, yeah, not, not too, too, like, uh, yeah. Not too mm. much changing, changing compared to B two C. So still, yep, mm, we okay, can. Okay, so there's a little bit more of a consistency. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, focusing in a little bit more on that customer side of the equation. So, you know, we 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 had, we had said kind of the starting point is to go towards that upper end of the restaurant segment. But as you've grown, have you started seeing more of like the middle tier? I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it of more restaurants coming on board that perhaps have more consistent menus uh, from month to month to month? Has has that started expanding that way? Um, means, uh, so sorry again, like, or... meaning, meaning less of like your Michelin style restaurants and more moving into your um, uh, casual dining mm -hmm. and also some of the some of some of the fine dining as well. Mm -mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, of course, some of the fine dinings, yeah, we also supply to uh, Michelin star restaurant as well. But yeah, they, of course, like uh, have some influence power on the in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of our customers now in the middle range, uh, we need to have uh, some more uh, product, wider product range to to cope with the demand. 
So our team uh, has uh, been reviewing the product SKU time to time, and then we always make sure to have the sufficient uh, products for the uh, every segment. Yes. Mm, yep. Okay. Okay. Mm. And what about retail? You know, it's uh, you've expanded into retail as well. Is it large chains? Is it is it small uh, particular shops or? What mm. what? How did you get your start into expanding into retail? Tell me that story. Mm-mm. We actually have started from the supermarket retail for the beginning. Yes. Mm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, because uh, retail is more stable, uh, stable, consistent, um, like orders the demand. So, uh, it was uh, easier for us to build the first supply chain. So this is how we have started. But once we uh, like uh, had the major brands of the supermarkets in Malaysia right now, we use them as our uh, like branding. So because uh retails we can't really have like more than thousand or product SKU anyway. The shelf is very limited. So and then our aim is to contribute to uh the end users like um uh, business consumer and end users. So mm-hmm. ideally, uh, we do not really want to go through other uh middlemen, which is the uh, retail. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the 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 best is yeah to to uh yeah contribute maximum to uh the consumers. Yes. Mm, yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. When when talking about the variety of of uh, produce that that you are able to supply via your platform, is it for the for the Malaysia market specifically? Is it primarily Malaysia grown products, or are you also helping to facilitate imports of products, whether from perhaps Japan or Australia or neighboring mm-hmm. markets like a Thailand or somebody? Uh yes. Uh. Currently, thirty about thirty percent uh come from Japan, and then the rest uh seventy percent uh local Malaysian products. We have a few percent still uh like uh import uh like buy from the other suppliers imported from China and the other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, major products come from Malaysia. 70% around, yes. Mm, okay, yep. okay. Mm. And what's the range of produce? It's primarily on the on the vegetable side or is it also within fruits as well? Mm. We have over 20 categories right now. So we yeah. have uh, egg, vegetable, chicken, seafood, yeah, meat. We even have like uh, cheese. Yeah, recently okay. we have one home home baker that she's making the cheese uh and the cream. Yeah. Okay. And then we even have some uh like this uh like sanitizer company. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So mm, but um majority I think the perishables are over 60-70%. But for 67? the rest, okay. yeah, 30, 30-40% are uh non-perishable as well. Mm. We started as vegetable fruit, but we uh expanding to egg, chicken, seafood. Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. What was that process like? What what prompted you to say let's expand into chicken, seafood? Was it getting receiving feedback from customers? Was it seeing an opportunity? What what was that logic? 
mainly yes it's coming from uh, customer demand so market in yes so when we service to the current customers um, they always like ask us like do you have this and then do you have that yeah mm -hmm. so we also started to uh, like source uh, more products on the platform so it could be a one-stop solution for them yeah this is from uh, my own experience as well like when I was running my own shop even though I had only a uh, few restaurants and cafes, uh, it was a very small restaurant, mm -hmm. but I needed to deal with more than uh, like 20 different suppliers. Yeah. So if I buy rice, I need to deal with rice supplier. And then I, 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 if I buy chicken, then I need to deal with chicken supplier. So I need to like have a very different, different order process processing mm -hmm. way. And also I need to proceed individual invoices like, yeah, one month is more than 100 pieces of invoice. This is very mm -hmm. uh, troublesome for us. So that's why, yeah, we like to make it more simple yeah, for the restaurant so they mm -hmm. can have more uh, like transparency and then they can have wider choices of the production uh, pro products, but they still can be more easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm to process the orders mm, yep. right so it, it removes some of that administrative burden that the restaurants have to go through by managing instead of having to manage 20 different suppliers 20 different invoices recording in your books making sure that you're on time with payments all of those different right. components instead yep. it's just one yep. single invoice one single supplier uh, that then does mm. the legwork of consolidating and aggregating the the network Okay, so so you you've you've expanded the the product selection as far as operating markets. Is it primarily Malaysia and Japan, or have you entered into additional markets as well? Uh, now one hundred percent is in Malaysia, hmm. and but uh, we've just uh started to expand to Singapore. So yeah, uh, we are expecting to have uh, some more uh like expansion in Singapore in the next three months. Yes. Mm. Okay. And mm. is this, is the strategy of entering that market pretty similar to how you got your start here in Malaysia as well? Yeah. Mm. Yep. So since we cover uh, more than a few hundred farmers in here, like Malaysia, so we hope that uh, we can distribute more like uh, current farmers products. Yeah. To have more sustainable income for the farmers in Malaysia as well. And then we've seen the same issue uh, for the uh, farmers and the even suppliers, which is a uh, fulfillment for the perishable items. Mm -hmm. So we hope that we can use our own uh, warehouse system, logistics system to optimize uh, the supply chain for the perishable items in Singapore market as well. Mm. And yeah. is, is the expectation that it would mostly be exports from Malaysia going into Singapore? Or yeah. would you actually need physical space in Singapore, or a local warehouse or anything? Mm -mm. We are yeah, uh, planning, uh, we are still planning stage, but uh, yes, majority of the products we are planning to uh, export from Malaysia to there, even uh, maybe import some of the products from Japan to there as well. Mm, yes, and then we are going to have our fulfillment center. Mm. Okay, okay, yep. okay. And any ambitions going forward to to kind of take that Singapore step and expand it further, or one mm. one one step at a time? Um. Yes, of course. We our aim is to be the new infrastructure. 
infrastructures for the farmers and the restaurant. So uh, we even uh, like, uh, like to expand more areas of the productions yeah, to assist more farmers. Yeah. And then, yeah, for the market-wise, yes, uh, we are uh, trying to have uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and the Kubi, Thailand, yeah, for the, the further expansion. Mm -hmm. But we hope that uh, we can be the new infrastructure for any like producers, yeah, the farmers, yeah, to sell their products direct to consumers. Mm. Okay. And so with the, with that intent of wanting to be the new infrastructure, when you when you look forward, do you have and this is a little bit of an open-ended question, do you mm. have a def definition of what success means? What what would be the 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 point uh, in order for you to say we have accomplished? What does success mean as an organization? Mm. I think for our company, like we would like to be uh, uh, like options for the sustainability. So let's say for uh, the farmers, currently they have their own uh, supply chain, like which is like 99% they rely on the current uh, middleman, the distributor, wholesaler. But we hope that uh, we can provide the options for them to be another sales channel for them to grow. So this is for the farmers. And then same goes to the restaurant. So in the market, from, from my view, here Southeast Asia, still the product availability is very limited compared mm -hmm. to Japan. Japan, we have many varieties of the mm -hmm. products. Yeah, but here, even though we have many more varieties of the products, but the products is very limited because of the supply chain. So I am willing to provide more options yeah, with more varieties of the products for the restaurant, even though you don't buy this one, but I, I would like to provide the option for the market. So people can choose and then people can think about like new menu. Yeah, and then they can have more sustainable income for the restaurant. So this is the, the options we like to provide for the sustainable uh, like uh, business for farmers and for the restaurants. Mm. Okay, yeah. There's there's definitely no shortage of farmable area. There's no shortage of any of that. But certainly, there's there's definitely a pain point centered around that supply chain where the options just aren't as broadly available because of the distribution component, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And then okay. we really need to do the uh, optimization on the supply chain. Otherwise, uh, like even we could provide these fulfillment solutions, but if we we ourselves cannot be sustainable, yeah, to run for the long term, then mm -hmm. yeah, it's no point. So we do this optimization with the lowest cost of delivery, yeah, to this um uh, to to let this supply chain be more sustainable, so we can Tikai can continue to provide this infrastructure for forever for everyone mm, yep okay okay as you as you expand you know when you when you when you continue to increase the the amount of demand for products there's a balancing component on the supply side i'm I, i'd be curious to know how you validate suppliers that you bring onto the platform so that you can ensure 
um, quality control aspects, uh, good experience yeah. for the restaurants, etc. How do how do you onboard new farmers? Mm. At this moment, we don't have very strict any criteria for mm -hmm. to be reviewed. Yeah, but uh, a few criteria we have is uh, maybe uh, like the the products they have, and then the uh, cultivation method, and also we monitor like a, a fulfillment rate. Yeah, how, how much they can fulfill the goods once uh, they started to sell their products. Mm. But so far, we don't really set any like very strict criteria for them. Mm. But the service uh, services we monitor time to time, especially for the fulfillment rate, like how much the farm can uh, fulfill against our orders. Mm. And uh, also some of the like, res responsiveness, <laughs> all those. Yep. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I mean, this this has been a really fantastic conversation. It's it's been great, kind of uh, navigating through the evolution of the company and 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 what you guys are doing in order to solve this supply chain problem. I want to wrap up here with a couple of closing questions. The questions that I ask everyone, and the first one is, what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? Hmm. I I'm very manual person. I can live without tech, I guess. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe now it's like uh like uh I don't know what's like a WhatsApp. Maybe in Malaysia, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. what's WhatsApp yeah, with, without a doubt? Yeah. You can't you can't uh, communicate maybe, in Malaysia without WhatsApp. Yep, 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 yeah. WhatsApp could be the one. Yeah, now. Yeah, I I hope I don't have to use, but yeah, I need to use it every day. But <laughs> yeah, I think mm, I think yes, mm, WhatsApp. And now it's a LinkedIn. LinkedIn also one of them. yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Those are those are those are two of my constants. I I seem to be regularly there as well. Let's yeah, let's yeah. do the second question here, which is. If you were to talk to another startup founder that's just getting started, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you could offer? Mm, I think mm, one thing maybe, yeah, we we still very small startup. I, I I don't really have a lot of things I can I can advise, but <laughs> yeah, maybe one thing is uh maybe the business sustainability. Like yeah, we. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of uh, startup company here is uh maybe they they chasing the top line, but uh actually like after the COVID, uh we've learned that uh the unit economics is kind of like very important for mm. the sustainable business for the startup company. So of course, yes, we uh, the startup company we should uh always uh chase the top line, but we also uh yeah for us yeah. At the same time, the very important is to help the good unit economics to be sustainable as well. So this is uh one of the things. Yeah, I think yeah I I I I've even learned from the yeah, yeah COVID time test. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I I, th I think that's great advice. I think too many founders for too long were under the growth at all costs mantra of just burn cash, burn cash, and eventually, eventually, some point. Uh, mm -hmm. profits will come and unfortunately you can go through the list of unicorns in the in the in the world and there's <laughs> quite a few that still just haven't yeah. gotten there um 
Uh, so you certainly sustainability in today's climate, uh, post-COVID, all of that. I think that is very wise advice. Yeah. Um, Ami, again, thank you very much. This has been a very enjoyable conversation for me to hear about what you're doing with Sakai Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kevin. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you as well. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brockman from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.